I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I am Tristan. And I'm Greg. It's a pleasure to be with you again for another week. Today is Friday. And it's hot as fuck. Yes, we have the fan on. If you can hear the noise in the background, that is keeping us cool. And I'm drinking a hot coffee, which is a bit of a, mm. it's a delicate balance. It's like that song. <laughs> which one? I can't think cool of one. fan and the hot coffee. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Isn't I it? love that song. There's not enough songs about fans and coffee. Yeah. Um, so we're doing Little Shop of Horrors today, as you may have guessed by the name of the podcast. Yes. Uh, 1986, not to be confused with the 1960 version. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Correct. We'll be getting into some of that in the origin story. Good. Yeah. It's juicy. It's interesting. It's a good one. Good. The year was 1986. Do you have any any member berries that can take us back to that year? <sighs> Look at a little one. Um, it was when the, fir- the world, I should say, not the first, it was when the world was first introduced to one Harry Potter. Really? Junior. What? Harry Potter Jr. What's Harry Potter Jr.? The principal character of the 1986 American comedy horror film, Troll. Oh. That's right. But is that, is it connected? (sighs) No. Oh, it's just the same name. Harry Potter. It does have magic in it. I'll give you the plot. Oh, yeah, okay. Top line, the Potter family moves into a new apartment complex in San Francisco. While unpacking, their young daughter, Wendy, is attacked by a grotesque little creature who had long ago been mutated by a powerful wizard turned into a troll. Using a magical crystalline green ring, he captures Wendy and disguises himself as her. After meeting the other eccentric tenants, the family notices Wendy's unusual behaviour, roaring, biting, tossing people across the room, punching people in the groin... Oh, it's very unladylike. But they attribute her ha- behaviour to stress of the move. The only one that notices something is terribly wrong is Wendy's brother, Harry Jr. Right. So things happen. Uh, it's, it doesn't excite me, to be honest. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, a, it's a sleeper. Maybe it was one of those ones where the name is homage. Like in, um, you know that game Metal Gear Solid? I know of it. Yeah. The main character, his name's Snake. Oh, yeah? And he looks a lot like Snake Plissken from Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. He's a real Kurt Russell type. Uh-huh. And there's another character in it called Plissken. So it's like, I wonder if it's one of those ones. This fan is making fucking noise, but it's too hot. We have to leave it on. So sorry if that's. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everywhere we go is just noisy fans. Am I right? <laughs> Quiet, quiet, you, quiet. Thank you. Sometimes they cheer and sometimes they just kind of click and make mm. a windy noise. Anywho, so that happened in 86. What a year. <whistles> a year for... What a story. Uh, what a great story. Do you, how many times do you think that 
he's going to get hurt on Monday and get repeated at Monday dinner parties at lunchtime. <laughs> well, actually, Harry Potter Jr. has his origins mm. traced back to Not to be confused with Harry Chronic Jr. Yes, a hilarious memesman. Mm, great name. Hey, good year for movies, 86. Oh, yeah. Great year. Mm. Some some give of the ones some. just give around us, give us some. outside of the top ten. Give us some. Your movies like Cobra. Ooh. You got movies like Pretty in Pink. Yeah, but important. You got movies like Three Amigos, The Money Pit. I, I like, like the, the money, money pit. pit. <laughs> Short circuit, which I'm keen to watch, partially because Johnny Five is alive. Yeah, and also because the guy that plays the Indian dude is white. Yeah, so it's not just in interesting. My, not we we in haven't my really done berries. Yeah, right. We haven't really done a movie like that where there's some real racial stuff to unpack. And who better to unpack it than two thirty-something white men? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Transformers, the movie, which we've covered, but in terms of top ten. Number one was Top Gun. Number two, Crocodile Dundee. This is not a knife. No, this is a knife. Number three, Aliens. Number four, Platoon. Number five, Star Trek. Four. Number six, The Karate Kid Part Two. Number seven, Back to School. Is that Roddy Dangerfield or something? I Maybe. Yeah, I believe so. The Golden Child at number eight. Number nine, oh. Ruthless People. Number ten, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Coming in at number twenty-five. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. Came out in 1986, as we said. Budget of 25 mil, gross of 39 mil, critic score of 90%, audience score of 79%. All all top-notch stuff. But was it a big movie for you, Greg? So I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show or not. We've definitely talked about it off-air in our conversations. Yeah. Whereby Tristan wanted to do this movie quite He's quite keen to do this movie, and every yeah. time he talked about it, I thought he was talking about little Rocky Horror Show. Rocky Horror Show, yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. So Plea Watch was blurry, uh, but when then then when I worked out, it was the one with the big plant. Mm. I realised I'd seen it quite a bit. Yeah. But I uh, I think I'll probably get into that in the rewatch because that's when it came flooding. Oh, back. okay. The experience. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, memories were hazy. Right. I'll, what, I'll give you my little yeah. background. Um, this was a really big movie for me, uh-huh. Some, somewhat randomly. So I rented it from Video Easy as a child. Mm, and it was quite a young child. No, Top Right. Top right yeah, yeah. So I must have been quite young when we were living there. So I believe I just picked it based on the cover, thinking it was a scary movie, and I was trying to get one past my mum of like getting a scary movie. But she saw, she saw Rick Moranis. Well, yeah, or she obviously knew what it was because she's, you know, tapped in to pop culture and whatnot. And she knew exactly what it was. And an adult. I just, yeah, exactly. I just saw the, the cover of the, that video was just the plant on a white background. And it said Little Shop of Horrors in yeah. red. And I was like, oh, it's going to be scary. Like, fuck yeah, I'm going to watch this. And then I took it home and watched it. And I was like, huh. Huh. <laughs> you weren't why, scared? Why are they all singing and dancing? No, and uh, you know what I realized today as I was thinking about this? It's exactly, it was exactly like when Homer brings back the Clint Eastwood movie Paint Your Wagon and he's like. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> that. Remember this? this was exactly my experience with Little Shop of Horrors. 
Uh, Clint Eastwood, Lee Marvin, shoot him up Western. So prepare yourself for the bloody mayhem and unholy carnage of Joshua Logan's Paint Your Wagon. With blood, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty sorry looking wagon you got there, mister. I reckon it could use a coat of paint. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> gonna paint our wagon, gonna paint it good. So that was almost literally my experience with this movie. I was like, all right, it's gonna be scary. Ooh, here we go. Oh, where, where are those singing? singing? Why is that woman talking like that? Uh, but then oh, I fucking loved it. <laughs> I got like real sucked in. I was like, yeah. and I think I rented it multiple times. I just fucking loved it. And I think it was also maybe just the first movie that I had kind of discovered on my own. I was trying to think, why is why is this a big deal for me? Because it wasn't a social thing. It wasn't like, oh, everyone's talking about it in the schoolyard. I just kind of stumbled across it and then I loved it. And then it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I like this movie. Part of me now. Yeah. So it was maybe the first time I'd actually had my own thing going on. Aww. And I hadn't watched it since then, basically. So I've been wanting to do this for ages because it was such a big deal for me. And I legitimately haven't watched it since then. So it's like perfect for this premise of Does It yeah. Hold Up? Because sometimes movies get clouded because we've rewatched them over the years. This, and it's like, this yeah. is quite pure. I had exactly the same experience in regard to purity. Yeah. I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. Yeah. It's a bit like Twins in that regard. That's probably the only other movie that was pure like that too. But should I get into the origin story? Because that's a juicy one. Yeah. Origin story. There's three phases to this little backstory. There's the original Little Shop of Horrors movie. Then there's the Little Shop of Horrors live musical off-Broadway production. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then there's the Little Shop of Horrors, the musical, the movie, which is what we're reviewing. Would, would you think they were best represented in a Venn diagram? Probably. Yeah, good. <laughs> that would work. It's hard for us to use the Venn given our audio format. It's an audio Venn, like a harmony of some yeah. sort. <laughs> so you need a third. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll start with the movie. So the first movie came out in 1960 and it – I haven't seen it, but the story behind it is weird and great. So mm-hmm. basically there was this, this dude, Roger Carmen, who was a big fucking deal back in the day. He made lots of movies sort of like this, kind of like B-grade but culty but highly influential. And maybe it wasn't considered B-grade then. That was just movies then. I don't know. Because apparently he was part of the start of directors like Scorsese and James Cameron and yeah, right. Coppola and stuff. And a lot of actors' first movies were this guy's movies, including one, Jack Nicholson in Little Shop of Horrors. Really? Yeah. Who's he in? He's the Bill Murray part. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was his third movie. So this was, and by third movie, like I think the first first biggest one, I guess, maybe. But um, they called this guy the Pope of Pop Cinema. So he was famous for this shit. And interestingly enough, just to draw a little connection to where we've been last week with The Terminator... Talked about how James Cameron cut his teeth on Piranha 2. Yes. Well, who produced Piranha 1, directed by Joe Tante? Roger Carmen, this guy. Oh. So this, that's like in his wheelhouse, those types of movies. 
but the way this movie specifically came about is fucking hilarious and amazing. It started as a bit of a joke. They were wrapping up a shoot of another movie and they had they didn't need to pack up this set right away and he's like, hey, leave that there for a couple of days. I'll make a movie. And they're like, what do you mean you'll make a movie? He's like, leave it with me. I'm going to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, standard. What a weirdo. The original Little Shop of Horrors began almost as a joke. I was having lunch with the studio manager of a small rental studio at which I had space in Hollywood, and he mentioned that they were finishing shooting on a film and had nothing coming in. And I knew what the sets were like, and I said, look, leave the sets up, and I'll see if I can't make something very inexpensively, and I will tailor something to the existing sets. And he said, fine, how long do you want them? I said, two days. And he said, you can't make a film in two days. I said, I just want to see if it can be done. So I made the arrangement to utilize these existing sets for two days. And then I met with Chuck Griffith, who was a writer I had worked with successfully several times before, particularly on a comedy horror film called Bucket of Blood. And Chuck and I brainstormed uh, for about one day and eventually came up with the idea of the man-eating plant. And Chuck wrote the script, I think, in something like two weeks. And I made a deal with the actors for a one-week salary. And I rehearsed Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I shot the picture on Thursday and Friday, plus a little second unit uh, night footage afterwards, and the film was made. How good is that? What a weird guy. That's... He's so intriguing. So it's such a fascinating he dude. He looks like he sounds for those playing along at home. Yeah. Like kind of like Mr. Black. Or like just a very boring. Yeah. Like an accountant. No yeah. disrespect to our accountant friends. Yeah. We need those tax returns <laughs> done. Um, but not your sorry, not your typical he doesn't strike you as a Tarantino type. Yeah. And you were just Googling, did you say he's done Jack Nicholson's done apes? So I had a quick look and yeah, a lot of early Jack Nicholson is with Roger Corman. So firstly this film and then beyond here there's one, two, three, four, five, quite a few other movies that this guy Roger Corman has directed. The Raven, The Terror, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, The Trip. Right, yeah. That is all. So, so yeah, pretty fascinating. Um, and that's an insane story. Talk about a beautiful constraint, Greg. Absolutely. The constraint is everything. Everything. <laughs> Two days. You basically have to build a story that around the sets. It's fascinating. I like the cut of his jib. They made this movie for 28 grand. <laughs> yeah. Which even in those days, I assume, is a pretty low budget, right? And then the resulting movie can be summed up with this little trailer here. Feed me. Oh, take it easy, Dracula. What do you think I'm carrying here, my dirty laundry? <laughs> Where a man-eating talking plant gives homicide something to think about. And I didn't do it. Do what? Whatever. Ever see this man? Man, see picture. Why are you so nervous? <laughs> Boy, you kiss good, Audrey. Oh, I guess I just have a good kisser. Now you will do as I say. Yes, Master. You will go out and find me some food. Yes, Master. What's the matter? Don't you like me? 
too bony. Too bony? Nobody ever told me that before. Beef is better than veal. Ah, you're such a dodo. What do you call this? Chopped liver? The trailer, this I guess this before voiceover. Or something. The it trailer looks, is a bit weird. It looks from its era. It does. Unfortunately, there's no voiceover going. It was a plant from outer space. Mm. It just you just kind of get a few little snippets. There's quite a few differences with this movie and where we end up with the final movie in the trailer. There, they had like detectives following up on the murders or missing people and that kind of shit, which weren't in the final movie. And there's a bunch of different things like that. But interestingly also, because he made this thing in two days and he really wasn't expecting much of it, he never copyrighted any of it, apparently. Mm. So apparently Little Shop of Horrors, at least then, was public domain. Go for it. Yeah, which is not bad. We live for the public domain. Should we have a crack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I bought know. a GoPro. Hey, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it wasn't a huge – I mean, it did get released. I think it got – it premiered at can out of competition. It wasn't part of like – it wasn't vying for the Palm Door or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, it ended up getting distributed with some other movie as like a B side kind of equivalent. I don't know how it works in movies, what, but in eighty six, no, 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 this was still original. in the sixties, and um, but eventually, from having it on TV and stuff, it picked up a bit of steam and became a bit of a cult classic. Mm. And then in eighty two, it was turned into an off Broadway musical. So ah. off Broadway, not Broadway. So the big ones are on Broadway. Smaller like ones are off. <laughs> yeah. Hamilton, although Hamilton started off Broadway. So a lot of sometimes these things start off Broadway and then they become like Joseph. A big deal. Was that did that start off Broadway? Not sure. <laughs> I just know it's a musical. Probably most I would think, right? Because you the anything that's a bit out of the ordinary. I suppose anything by Andrew Lloyd Webber probably goes Broadway. straight to Broadway. Yeah. But um interestingly the, the creative geniuses behind the musical adaptation are some familiar names we've talked about mm-hmm. on this very podcast podcast in the past. Um, Mr. Alan Menken oh, yep. and Howard Ashman. These guys are fucking Disney lords. lords. And this was pre-Disney for them. This was kind of their big break. Was it pre-Disney for them? I didn't know that. I believe it was. Shit, maybe I should check that. No, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is the beginning of a lot of what we have come to know and all collectively have experienced from Disney since. Like mm-hmm. these guys have done Little Mermaid and like all kinds of shit. We'll get into some of that later. But what we had covered from those guys previously was Aladdin. Did. And if you remember, poor Howard Ashman actually passed away Did from AIDS before Aladdin came out and uh-huh. fucking... Menken still... Alan Menken's still going. He was involved in the Aladdin reboot and everything. Mm -hmm. But Howard Ashman was kind of like, they say someone someone smart at Disney says like, there's two Disney angels looking down on us. There's Walt Disney and then there's there's Howard Ashman. Uh So he's a big fucking deal. Absolutely. Started here. How fucking cool is that? Um, So they wanted to make this musical a satire of sci-fi, a satire of B-movies and a satire of musicals themselves. So it's all very kind of... Tongue Self-aware, tongue-in-cheek, and it started off Broadway, off Broadway. So it ran for five Did it years on the Broadway. No. So how's this? So it ran for five years, became the highest-grossing off-Broadway show in history, 
and they got the opportunity to take it to Broadway, Broadway, and they were like, nah, mm. this is more, more of an off-Broadway thing. So that meant it was never eligible for Tony Awards or anything like that, ah. which is crazy. I think it's since been on Broadway, but in terms of like the original production, nah. And which is any, really cool. Were any of the cast from the production in the film? That is a very good question, Greg. Ellen Green, uh, who played Audrey, has pretty much always has and always will play Audrey. <laughs> ah. So she played Audrey in the original production, she played Audrey in the movie, and she played Audrey in a recent off-Broadway um, version with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> really? As, yeah, as um, Seymour. Ah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a nice segue into the movie since we have the Ellen Green continuity there. Mm-hmm. So basically this dude named David Geffen was also a producer of the off-Broadway show and he was planning to get into the movie version. And initially, Mr. Spielberg was set to produce and Mr. Scorsese was set to direct and he wanted to make it Uh 3D. Uh Uh-huh. What a weird world we're living in. Have Spielberg and Scorsese worked much together? I think they talk about it like that crew, all those names I mentioned before that this guy, Roger Corman, was influential with. They talk about, I forget the phrase they use, but Coppola, Scorsese, Spielberg, even George Lucas, I think. I can't remember if they all went to school together or if they were just all part of the same wave of, maybe even Zemeckis as well. I don't know. But What, um, what pack would they be? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The director pack. Yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? All right, that's our brief. We'll come up with something for that. But, yeah, so they were initially attached. Didn't work out. Um, I'm not sure why that kind of fell through but eventually got into the creative hands of Mr. Frank Oz. Uh-huh. Who we've also talked about on the show before. Hands it did. Yeah. Wait, what was that? That was my Yoda. Ah, yeah. So I took the last thing you said and put some <laughs> words on the end. And Yoda Yoda'd them. Uh, mm. Yeah, so he's the voice of Yoda and the puppeteer of Yoda, I believe. I'll get a little background on him a bit later, but basically legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. Muppets, he's part of, he's part of the old... Jim Henson crew, uh, but also became like straight up movie director. And uh-huh. I think this may have been his first movie. Did Dark Crystal? Oh, uh, yeah. Dark Crystal would have been before this, I think, right? I don't know. And then he was involved in Labyrinth as a character and as a puppeteer and that kind of shit. Uh, but he's gone on to do heaps of shit. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Bowfinger, Death at a Funeral. It's a great little, great little list there. Yeah. I look forward to doing Bowfinger on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Moranis gets in there. Um, Ellen Green is back, like we were saying, um, which wasn't typically done in those days, especially, and it still isn't really done now. You don't often see someone from the live show being in, in the movie. the transition. Yeah, like no one in The Lion King is in The Lion King, you know, that kind of shit. They, you know, they fill it with, it's probably less likely these days because they fill it with like household names instead. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, so they were suggesting Barbara Streisand. And Robin Williams. Yeah. Oh, wait, now that's a different thing. Similar, yeah. Um, and also offered to Cindy Lauper and she said no apparently. But So Ellen Green was in. Levi Stubbs uh-huh. of the Four Tops fame Yep, um, played Audrey 2, the monstrous plant for Mean Motherfucker mm-hmm. from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Great songs. Fuck, I love the music in this movie. We'll get into that. Um, and Steve Martin as a dentist, which was fucking great. And a bunch of cameos we'll talk about a bit later. But... In terms of budget, this is a big budget movie. Apparently it was the most money ever spent by Warner Brothers at the time. Really? So they spent 25 mil. I suppose it's all a set, isn't it? Like it's that whole Skid Row thing is all a set. 
Yeah, and there was a whole different ending that got scrapped that cost $5 million. Yeah. Which we'll get into a bit yeah, later. Yeah. But, um, I read about that. For comparison, Aliens came out that year too, right? James Cameron, another protege of the Piranha family, <laughs> was uh, came in at number three that year. Its budget was only $17 million. And this had a budget of $25 and million. And they had Aliens and Space. Well, <laughs> oh, arguably this did too. Yeah, see, there you go, there you go. It's just like a lot of yes ending. It's like, oh, yeah, that movie was interesting. Yes and, now it's a musical. Yes and, now that musical's a movie. Yes and, yes and, yes and. Kind of like that. But anyway, should we play the trailer? Yes. It all began in this little shop. Oh, damn roses. Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happens. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. Now isn't that bizarre? What kind of a weirdo does that seem? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plan? A girl. Get out and make a nice voice when you live on Skitty a florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Yes! Rick Moranis. It's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me, what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. That's a good trailer. Yeah. That is that fucking was, good. That was a good trailer. Like, it had, had an energy. Like, this may be one of the movies that we do that a lot of people haven't. Scene. I want. I need. We need to post that full trailer so people can get excited about this movie because it. It's definitely worth watching if you haven't watched it. Not to jump ahead, but the cast alone. There's Bill Murray in there, which I forgot about. But anyway, before we get into all that, but yeah, Greg, there's probably a lot of people that haven't seen this. Yeah. You want to do them a favor? I'll. Uh, I'll give. I'll give them a little bit of uh, flavor around. You know that cherry picked scene collage that we just witnessed. Yeah. Uh, this is a story of a battler. A little New York battler. It's a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of deal here. Man buys plant, comes with great fortune and great peril, but this plant eats dickheads. <laughs> so this guy shouldn't really be complaining. Yeah. Plus, it makes him comparatively successful. Not like rich and famous, but he probably smells a little better. <laughs> and it probably boosts his confidence a bit. Yeah. The plan eats the one thing standing in between him and his objects of desire, Audrey. Audrey's boyfriend. It then eats his dickhead boss. 
What more do you want, Seymour? Feed the plant all the dickheads and be happy. Move to the suburbs if you want. They're probably cheaper than New York. Stop whinging. That's a good point. Could have done it Dexter style and just made sure he only killed bad people. That's kind of my synopsis. This guy's got a plant. He whinges a lot, but the plant's just helping him out. That's a good point. You know? Yeah. What does the plant do that's so bad? It yeah. brings him fortune and eats assholes. <laughs> You're a real felcher. <laughs> it's also a love story. He's a real rumor. It's also a love story. Yeah. It's it most certainly a love Suddenly story. Suddenly Well, Greg, I'm dying to hear how your rewatch was. Well, <laughs> as I said, and you said, <laughs> this is about as pure a rewatch as you can get. I haven't seen this generally since I was a kid. But starting the movie, it all came flooding back to me. I did watch this a lot as a kid. Probably would have been like four, five. Right. Uh, And I believe this film was uh, somewhat of a sexual awakening for a four-year-old Greg. Yeah. Um, Was it because of the cleavage? I think that would have been part of it. Yeah, that was... I feel like there's a sexual subtext to this whole thing. Yeah. It kind of peppers throughout the film. Yeah. And uh, that struck a chord with a prepubescent toddler Greg. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into any more detail than that other than that reminded me of that. Uh, (laughs) I remember being very disturbed by the dentist. So that was fascinating because he's pure comedy, right? It's Steve Martin being over the top and hilarious. But when I was a kid, he was the scary guy in the movie and all that uh, dental torture stuff actually, I found that actually scary. Yeah, me too. So that was interesting. Yeah. Like watching it in completely different light. He was hilarious. Yeah. He was one of – he was a real highlight for me in the rewatch because I kind of – he was kind of just a scary guy and uh, I don't know. And he, if you knew Steve Martin in 1986, if, you, if we were watching this as adults in 86, we would have known that yeah. his hair was over the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe, every, uh, every movement was exaggerated. He was great. He was so good. So wait, did you like it? Were you enjoying this rewatch? Uh, 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, 50-50. Yeah. I, I was I really know. curious about how you'd find it. I'm not, you know me, I'm not big on singing yeah. in movies. Yeah. I don't know, for some reason it just, it's, bla- it's blatantly a musical yeah. being filmed. Totally. But that's fine. Like, I'm, Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. It's not like, that's not like a well, yeah, it, it's, observation. It's a, it sounds, I know exactly what you mean because even when I first saw Book of Mormon, I was quite – it took me a while to adjust. Mm. I was like, oh, this is just a full-on musical. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I love South Park, so I love Book of Mormon. And I eventually loved it, but mm. it, it does – it's a, it's quite different yes. <laughs> to just go full-on musical. Yes. And so it's interesting that I loved this as a kid that had no interest in musicals until probably Book of Mormon again. Uh-huh. And I think there's something similar about those two movies. <clears throat> They're both hilarious and kind of – like very adult, mm-hmm. over the top, but then also have, he- have heaps of heart too. Yeah, and the songs, and the songs are, are actually and the songs are actually good. good. Yeah, and this one especially. I mean, the songs of Book of Mormon are good, but I wouldn't really listen to them outside of it. Yeah, other than to really Book of Mormon. But I legitimately love a lot of these songs because it's mad, like Motowny well, vibes, yeah, and you got, got Levi stuff from the, from the Man, four tops. Yeah, so good. I really, really love the music, but full disclosure, I've been listening to the music for the last couple of months in anticipation of doing this because <laughs> it suddenly ranted my consciousness 
when we were talking about doing it on the podcast and so I've been listening to the music since then and I, I fucking love it. I love it. But then the movie put it all back into context for me now because I remember what it meant. That's cute. I like the, the three chicks. Do they call them, are they a chorus? Is that what you call them? Like the Greek chorus or whatever? Yeah, but there's a name. They were cool. I like the whole vibe. Maybe yeah, it's, it's because the musical thing is just novelty to me too. I don't know. But I just I enjoyed that part of it. And just the, the level of it's super cheese ball, but knowingly so. Mm. And not to get into all the cameos just yet, but one that does it perfectly. I didn't even realise. It's Christopher Guest, yeah, the first yeah. customer that walks in. Yeah. And like this is the tone we're talking about that if you're kind of not ready for it, you're like, what am I watching? But then once you get on the right wavelength, it's a thing of beauty. Excuse me. I couldn't help noticing that strange and interesting plant. What is it? It's an orchid. I've never seen anything like it before. No one has. Where did you get it? <laughs> it's so weird. Christopher Guest is a gem. Yeah. And then I saw that scene in the rewatch. And then when I realized it was Christopher Guest, it became 10 times more funny because yeah. you realize that's yeah. what he's knowingly doing that. It's yeah. not. Yeah. But anyway. Once you kind of accept that level of cheese, I mean, like it's just it's just fun. It's good. Um, <laughs> Where did you get it? <laughs> and it balances all those things really nicely. Yeah, like I said, a bit like Book of Mormon where it's like silly, gross. Like people die in this thing, man. I forgot there was that hardcore. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. And the dentist is a horrible fucking person. Yeah. And the original ending is even crazier. Punches a girl in the face. Yeah. Oh, should, should I get into the original ending? Yeah. So so in the original movie ending, I think Seymour gets eaten, but Audrey and the shop owner survive. In the musical... I think Audrey gets eaten. In the original movie? Oh. No, and then in, in the musical, everyone gets eaten. Yeah, yeah. And then in, the, in this movie, they were all supposed to get eaten again. And um, that original ending, when they put it into testing, the movie was going really well with test audiences until the ending. And they say you need like at least a 50% score to get your movie released. And they got 13%. Nice. That's, <laughs> so, that's good, right? But it was – no. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Basically, it was all down to the ending. They all died. And um, Frank Oz, in hindsight, said, uh, I learned a lesson. In a stage play, you kill the leads and they come out for a, a bow at the end. Uh, but in a movie, they don't come out for a bow. They're dead. They're gone. And so the audience that the audience lost the people they loved, as opposed to the theater audience where they know they're coming out. They're for coming, a bow. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like okay. it's just, which is interesting, but still a bit shitty because they actually spent yeah five mil on this ending. Everyone dies. Must have been some death. It's pretty crazy. So I'll, I'll read out this thing. Let's see how this reading goes. Um, this is what the original ending was. So the plan attacks Audrey in the process, revealing to her that it also ate. Oren and Mr. Mushnik Oren the dentist uh-huh. Seymour comes and pulls her from its jaws But it's too late to save her As she is mortally wounded As she's dying She tells him what the plant said about Oren and Mushnik And then Seymour confesses that he fed them to the plant Audrey requests that Seymour feed her to the plant So that Seymour can earn the success he deserves After fulfilling her dying wish He attempts suicide by jumping off the roof of the building Only to be stopped by Patrick Martin Jim Belushi Yeah Fast forward a little bit more. The three chorus girls appear in front of a large American flag and sing a song about what just happened and how this plan is taking over the earth. Cut to 
Audrey 2 plants everywhere, destroying cities, like huge budget shit, eating people, like huge battles, like, like Godzilla type of shit. And then finally a couple of years ago, they actually released the director's cut. Yeah, and right. um, it's epic. I'll put this on Instagram, but I want to, I'll show a bit here. Some of it might translate to audio, some might not, but at least even to show you, Greg. It's crazy. I was watching this just before. Does it look like, like five C- million dollars? Seymour fully gets eaten. It's almost the same scene. But he just cleans them all up. And he just, you know, he battles him at the end? Except he just eats him and spits out the glasses. <laughs> this is a really different ending. Yeah. It was fully finished, like it's a complete oh, yeah. ending. And it's all like costume too. It's... Wait till it gets to the street scene. bridge. So it's pretty epic. Fuck yeah. And it's interesting to your point on the synopsis, with the current ending, the plant does only eat bad people. So you're right, you could look at kind of having this happy ending kind of dilutes that the plant's really that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like he takes over the fucking world, eats all of the people we love. Yeah. (laughs) And um, that's more of a problem. Because, yeah, exactly. And they talk about like the interpretation of it in the musical and that ending is like the dangers of giving into greed and like greedy American society and all that kind of shit, which works with that ending. But it doesn't really work. With the other ending? Yeah. I had no idea there was another ending until like yesterday or whatever. Yeah. It's crazy. I want to watch the director's cut now. It makes – I love that ending more. Like it makes it all sit nice. I mean I don't – It's a bit more, you know, robust. The scene where Seymour dies is pretty fucked. It's it's not even – I wouldn't even post it on Instagram because it's not really that kind of thing. It's really slow and like, oh, (laughs) just puts him in his mouth and closes his mouth. Yeah. Not, you know, it's not a true story. What? Yeah. What do you mean? Seymour's didn't die. Ah. Well, where's Rick Moranis? He's, a, he's an actor. Oh, a little Rick Moranis. This is peak Moranis fever too. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love him particularly in this. What? I know he was kind of. Like, this might have been like my Moranis entry point, maybe. Like uh, compared to yeah. Ghostbusters, for example. Of course, of course. I mean. I find him quite pedestrian in this. No, I liked him. And I liked his talk singing. You know how I like talk singing. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking. Is it <laughs> love me some talk singing. I love it. I'm talk was, singing right now. <laughs> I was wondering if that's a, uh, is that an Alan Menken thing? Because I liked it in Aladdin too. Prove it. That one jump ahead of the law, man. I like the talk singing. He did it in this too. Well, talk singing. I can't singing. think of any of the songs there. <laughs> Someone tell me a way to get out of here. I just like that talk singing shit. More talk singing, please. See all the Disney remakes. No interest singing. in talk singing. He does not speak on behalf of both of us. I had talk singing is great. And Why don't you do it more than <laughs> you're doing throughout more. your day today? We were talking about this, me and Ara, the wife. This issue with um, like the new Lion King and stuff. It's like you got Beyonce in there like singing, singing. Yeah. It should be talk singing. Yeah, okay. That's what I mean by talk singing. Yeah, she's like just getting all halo. You need to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, 
It should just be talking. Yeah. Because she's also singing with Donald Glover, who's not a Beyonce singer. He's like a He's a more of simple, a talk singer. Yeah, he's really <laughs> he's a talk singer. Uh, From way back. Yeah. He's been talk singing since you're sucking on your mother's teeth. <laughs> Probably not. He's younger than us. But, uh, Is he? I Fuck, assume so. We're at that age now, man. Um, oh, you know who's man. not younger than us? Rick Moranis. Yeah. I mean, we've done a lot of Rick Moranis talk back on the um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. But just to recap some of the headlines, obviously Moranis fever in the 80s. you got Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. you got you know, Ghostbusters Part 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And um, Parenthood, you got this. What else you got? Any other anything else? Uh, probably. Yeah. I feel like there's something robust we're missing. Um, and then he just retired from show business. Uh-huh. His wife passed away and he wanted to take care of his family. Dad. He made some albums, some comedy albums, the ones from Grammys. But, yeah, he's just living a good life with his fam. Yeah. Respect, Moranis. We'd love to see you. Yeah. And the kids are probably a bit older now. They could probably pour their own cereal. Good point. You probably don't have any shrinking machines lying around the house. Yeah. That would warrant, you know, supervision. Or just lock the door. Lock the door. Yeah. True. Yeah. Or do it in a lab at work, mm-hmm. not at home. Not, not in your attic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Good points. I don't know how much he, do- he dabbles with shrinking machines outside of film. I would have thought he, a man of his stature, would be more interested in a reverse shrinking, <laughs> a growing machine. That's true. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I've sworn not to talk about height in our episodes right. anymore. So. We're alienating some of our listeners. Um, hey, I thought the pub at work in this was top notch. The pub at work? The pub at work, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've recently commenced drinking. So <laughs> This is our – Greg had a couple of beers at lunch today. They've worn off. I'm still sober. So this is – and you're sober now. So this is basically our – Fourth Sobercast? Mm. So how about that, listeners? Didn't yeah. think we could do it, huh? Four episodes sober. And if you're still listening, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the puppet work I thought was quite good. The puppetry? The puppetry. Mm. You know how many people it took? Um, yeah. I'm going to guess 16. <laughs> okay, maybe. So the voice was Levi Stubbs, but then it was operated by – I'll just read out all the names. You can count them. Anthony Asprey, Brian Henson, Mac Wilson, Robert Tigner, Sue Dacre, David Barclay, Marcus Clark, Paul Springer, David Greenway, Toby Philpott, Michael Bayless, Michael Barclay, Don Austin, Chris Leith, William Todd Jones, Terry Lee, Ian Tregoning, John Alexander, Michael Quinn, James Barden, and Graham Fletcher. Is that 16? That was 21. Ah, you weren't far off. Uh, if, if Terry's a man, that was 20 men and one female. <laughs> a sign of the time, sir. So it was quite a complex puppet. And they were really struggling with making this thing look real. And then they stumbled upon a happy accident, Craig. I haven't had an happy accident in ages. <laughs> Are you referring to a premature ejaculation? <laughs> uh, would that be a happy accident? It depends on the context. Sorry, honey, it's a happy accident. <laughs> Not for her. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were struggling. They wanted to make it look real, felt like it wasn't looking real. When they were rewatching the footage, they sped it up for whatever reason and they realized in fast forward it looked real. And so they actually shot the scenes with Audrey 2, the puppet, slower. So slower frames per second, like 12 to 16 frames mm-hmm. per second. And then sped it on and up. sped it up to 24 frames per second, which is standard. And so in the speed ups, it all looks Works. awesome. 
But it meant when actors were in scenes with the plant, they had to just mime their lines slower and then record it in post. Oh. But, there, but there weren't many of those scenes for that reason. It was mainly just Moranis mm. now and then. But that's pretty fucking cool, right? It is. As always, we love that shit. We love like a beautiful practical, practical effects. Like, solutions. It's so cool because it looks pretty good, man. Creative solutions. It looked better than I was expecting. I thought it was going to look like Barney the Dinosaur, like all felty and dumb. But yeah. it looked good within the aesthetic of the movie. It, it fit. Yeah. Like the sets didn't look real either, but that yeah. was kind of the point. Yeah. That was the shtick. Yeah. I thought that was very cool. Um, should we talk about some of them cameos? Oh, I'd like to talk about some of them cameos. It, they just kept rolling, didn't they? Man, uh, none of the, I guess when I watched this as a kid, I didn't know any of these people. John Candy? John Candy was in there. Um, like we were saying, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. I was not expecting that at all. He gives a real what about Bob performance. <laughs> oh, also directed by Frank Oz. Is it? Yeah. Christopher Guest, as we mentioned, James Belushi. Uh-huh. But Bill Murray, like we said, um, he was playing the Jack he's Nicholson a, role. He's a delight. Do you want to hear? Always. Oh, so for those who haven't seen it, basically Bill Murray's role is like this guy that loves being tortured by the dentist. Yeah, he's like it's a, a mad it's got nothing weirdo. to do with the plot. Yeah, mad weirdo. He's yeah. like this, this this dentist is horrible sadist. sadist, loves hurting people, and Bill Murray plays a guy who can't wait to, to be tortured by this guy. Yeah. Why don't I play that Bill Murray version first for context? What happened? What did you tell me, everything? Huh? Well, they have to do that to remove the jaw. Ah, consider yourself very, very lucky. Next! It's me, Arthur Denton. I'm next! Next! <laughs> Does uh, that have an appointment? Ask it. I'm off duty. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. I remember the first time I went to the dentist, I thought, gosh, what a neat job. If only I were a dentist. The dentist I went to had the greatest car. He had a Corvette. And I thought, my gosh, everybody calls him doctor and he's not really a doctor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's take a look at that mouth. Say, ah. Uh... So heaps fucking weird. Yeah. Heaps weird. <laughs> but I fucking love it. And um, this is the equivalent. Ooh. The character is actually a different name because this character wasn't in the stage musical, but they brought it back for the movie. And so it's slightly different, but it's basically the same character. This is Jack Nicholson in 1960 in his third ever movie role. Is this Dr. Farb's office? Uh, just a minute. Oh, yes. <laughs> I see it is. Uh, you, you can come in now. <laughs> My name is Wilberforce. Wilberforce what? Just... Wilberforce. My first name is Wilbur. My last name is Force. <laughs> I don't have a middle name. Well, you have an appointment, maybe? 
No, but you were very highly recommended to me by one of your patients, a Mrs. Eshiva. I do a lot of undertaking for her relatives. <laughs> well, as you can see, I have a customer now, and I'm all booked up for the rest of the day, so you'll have to come back tomorrow. Oh, I couldn't do that. I have three or four abscesses, a touch of pyorrhea, nine or ten cavities, I lost my pivot tooth, and I'm in terrible pain. <laughs> well, I, I can't help you today. Oh, that's all right. I'll, I'll just wait outside. Fuck, this is like a Joker origin story or something. Mm. Heaps weird. I actually hadn't watched that before. Mm. <laughs> before. I just found it and saved it for later. He's a fucking nut job. Mm. Apparently... Mm. Like, actually, on paper, a lot of that dialogue isn't that weird, but he was playing it so weird. He said um, in an yeah, interview after that he, he said he, he went to the shoot knowing he had to be su super quirky because Roger didn't initially want him in the movie. Mm. Um, so he couldn't play it straight. So he just did a lot of weird shit. He said that. So I just did a lot of weird shit that I thought would make it funny. Without him making that weird choice, you probably wouldn't get that weird Bill Murray-ness. Yeah. There's, there's a link for sure. Yeah, they um, mightn't have got Bill Murray to do it. Yeah, yeah, because it just wouldn't have been that weird of a character. It's pretty cool. Um, I get, I've got a little something to throw out there. Oh, yeah? Kind of a re-pitchy idea. Ooh. You know, need, I, have, I need some help fleshing out. We really need to make a jingle for re-pitchies. Mm. re <sighs> <sighs> <Start> show. <laughs> there you go. That'll do. And so I came at this from like a Chuck. Palinic type ah, angle. Ah, okay. Bit of a fight club scenario whereby these three characters are one person. Interesting, Greg. So you've referred to Freud's construct of the human psyche before around id, superego and ego. Oh, yeah, Greg. I like where you're going with we've this. We've got something. So we might have Rick as the superego, which is the uh, angel. Ah, but he, you think he's the middleman, but maybe he could be still. Yeah. But the other thing is that the other two are kind of bad. So you've got the dentist. Yeah. Um, Orion as ID or id, whatever. Yeah. And the plant, I don't know, he's ID too, id, id as well. Is it id or id? Id. Id. Okay, cool. I won't say id. I know no, that from The Simpsons. Uh, the plain Scrabble. Oh, nice. Id. Triple word score. Hey, no abbreviation. Not ID, Dad. Id. It's a word. As in, this game is stupid. Hey, shut up, boy. Yeah, Bart. You're supposed to be developing verbal abilities for your big aptitude test tomorrow. We could look this id thing up in the dictionary. We got one? I think it's under the short leg of the couch. <laughs> id. Along with the ego and the superego, one of three components of the psyche. Get out of here. It's the only reason I know that. See, <laughs> many things. That's the only reason I know many educational. things. educational. I've yeah. been arguing this <laughs> with my parents when I wasn't allowed to watch it. I, I don't know how many things, though, that on there weren't true that I've taken <laughs> as fact. <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, many. Yeah. Yeah, so you reckon there's something there where... Funny you should say this because I had a similar note, but I had Seymour as ego, mm. Audrey too as... Id mm. and Audrey as super ego. Ooh. So like, yeah, because I think it is the animal instinct, like do anything you want kind of thing. Yeah, which suits the plant. Yeah, and then the super ego is like being too 
conservative and conservative, yeah. which is sort of Audrey. And then Seymour's sort of caught in between trying to make the two work. Yeah. But that's interesting bringing the dentist into it because he's, yeah. Yeah, that's, I kind of borrowed that the dentist and, and Seymour. As that's kind more of, fight club. That's the fight club angle, yeah. Like maybe could they have literally been the same person mm. and, he, and she's in an abusive relationship with a psychopath that thinks he's two different people. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Could work. Oh, that could work. And it's him actually, maybe the plan is him working out his demons. Something like that. Yeah. Or the plant is like his Dorian Gray portrait that just grows as he gets weirder and mutates in the background. That's the manifestation of his crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite cool. And you could probably do a few subtle things because it doesn't talk to anyone else, does it? No. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. good. You could even say that maybe this happened in this movie. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. So you could set it in the nineties with the music by Trent Reznor, directed by David Fincher. Yeah, fully. <laughs> and Brad Brad Pitt is is the dentist. Yeah, <laughs> and Edward Norton. Well, I won't. I don't want to segue to my recasties. But, but you I could almost do exactly that because that's pretty much what they did with Joker. They're like, what if though Joker was basically a taxi driver and yeah. king of comedy? And then yeah. just literally did that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Like, what if it was just Fight Club? That'd be fun, though. Fuck yeah. Like, if you were doing that, could, seems like something you could do if you were doing a, an off Broadway reboot of this. Make it more about that. So I think yeah. that's the cool thing with, with things like this that get remade all the time is you can, like, start to Morph it. make it about different things. Yeah. It's quite why not? cool. It's like a living, breathing. Plant. Idea. Like a plant. Like it's had three distinct iterations already. They're probably going to make another one. Yeah. I read that guy that played Elton John is in, in talks to play Seymour. Is he? Yeah. He's not on my list. Ah, interesting. Well, send them to your list, that, because they're casting. I did do an English rose. <laughs> That's uh, one of my favourite Gregisms. Wait, before we get to recast these. Oh, yeah, sorry. I got one, one more topic. Yeah, yeah. I just did want to talk about the music a little bit. I mean, Oh, yeah, that's that's... It's pretty important. I feel, I think that's a very good idea. I think it's great music. <laughs> <laughs> I love Suddenly Seymour. I didn't mind Suddenly Seymour. And then I, mm. I love most of the songs that the plant sings because it's very Motowny. And then, like, having now rewatched it in the context of those songs, when it's like, he's got your number now. You know, it's all like, ooh, I like it's all very, gets you in the feels. Do you know there's a couple of – I think it was a couple of the earlier songs mm. I thought weren't originals. Right. Because I must have heard them so much over the years in various contexts yeah. and, and copies yeah. um, of this yeah. movie that I then thought they weren't originals when I watched the movie. Which is like, again, the genius of this uh, Menken and um, – and what's his name? Of Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Like, the wow. same goes – <laughs> Same goes for Aladdin and those movies. Like these guys wow. just wrote these movies. Yeah, and wrote those songs, and they sound like they're hit songs. Yeah, you can't just write that many hits. I always wonder that with musicals. How do you have them all be good songs? Like artists release albums, and sometimes there's one good song on there. Mm-hmm. So when you're making a musical, how do you make them all so catchy and like it's fucking good? I'm sure, there's formula. Formula. There probably is some shit we don't understand, but. Man, some of these tracks. And I mentioned before, this was, I think, what unconsciously I really enjoyed as a kid was just Audrey 
it fucking shit me so much how much how she talks in the movie throughout. But it's worth it in the payoff when she sings at the end and it she comes her voice really just comes out. Melt. Yeah. It's like oh it gives me goosebumps every time. I listen to that song just to hear that one bit again. Really? I love it. Fucking love it. Ooh, um yeah. speaking of rehearing the songs. Yeah. Uh our friends at Family Guy. Yes. Did a pretty famous little uh, cover Rooney of uh, Somewhere That's Green. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had a stroke. <laughs> Something quite wonderful has happened. <laughs> Mr. Castington. Uh, let's, let's have a listen to when, um, what's the creepy pedophile's name? Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasizing about a life with Chris. He rakes and trims the grass. He loves to mow and weed. I cook like Betty Crocker and I look like Donna Reed. There's plastic on the furniture to keep it. It's just the same It's the same lyrics. <laughs> I was expecting In different lyrics. It makes it funnier. Yeah. The, the lyrics are funny to be with. Yeah, it's exactly it. Just... They would have had fun recording that. Yeah. But you know that song. If you take away that that vocal and the lyrics, that would fit right in in any of his Disney works, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it just fit. Like that's the thing. It's quality. The quality is there. You can mm. see when you go, it's those guys. Like, oh, of course, it's those guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They make iconic music. The Family Guy does that well, don't they? Sometimes they'll just go all in on something yeah, yeah, and yeah, play yeah. it and straight. Follow it right out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Respect, especially with music, they play it straight a lot. And funnily enough. I actually found a clip from Carpool Karaoke of Seth MacFarlane and Ariana Grande singing Suddenly Seymour. Oh. And it's terrible. I mean, that it's technically fine, but it's terrible. You'll see what I mean. It's just, there's no talk of singing. Lift up your head. Wash off your mascara. Here, take my Kleenex. Oh, he's he's kind of talking. lipstick away. Show me your face. He is toxic. Clean as Maybe it's more her. When he's listening to the show, he's going to be like, I was fucking toxic. Now they're okay. Suddenly see more. So he obviously really likes this movie. With sweet understanding. It's like Kabul karaoke. James Gordon in the back seat or something. Yeah, she needs more talkie. Yeah. Let's sing you more talkie. Don't be like uh, don't be like your predecessor. Who's that? Christina. Oh yeah. Like to sing loudly. Yes, yeah, so, I mean Carpool Karaoke's got a it's a TV show on Apple TV now. Or Apple Music or whatever. Oh, really? And it's I hate it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel bad how much I don't like James Corden because I feel like I'm being unfair. But I just something about him. He does. And that segment. He does have a. He rubs me the wrong way. 
he does have a quality akin to he has a Fallonness about I him. I think I like Fallon more. He makes Fallon look like a god. <laughs> like he makes Fallon look like Conan. <laughs> <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> Man, there's something about both of those guys though. I think I was trying to think about this today because I watched that clip and I'm like, why do I hate this so much? And I think both of those guys do this thing where it's so patronizing that this thing should be entertaining just because it's celebrities doing something. Mm. It's not. It's not entertaining. It had its moment. If in small doses. But it's become this thing now where the, those guys have people on us like, let's do something wacky with celebrities. I just fucking learn to interview people, man. Have mm. a chat. The lost art. The lost art. Conan does it. Conan, you see Conan interview, he's yes and in the shit out of that. He's got notes and for sure, but they're having like a little improv scene really. Yeah, I love that man. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Watch any Jeff Goldblum interview on Conan. You're in for a and treat. You can, and, you'll, and then look up a Jeff Goldblum interview with Jimmy Fallon. I'm not even sure he's ever gone on Fallon, but you will see the difference. Mm. He doesn't know how to work with him. Yeah. He wouldn't know how it's to handle that. one man show. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Oh. oh. I got my Jeff Goldblum orchestra T-shirt. Excellent. <laughs> Why are you not wearing it? I don't know. It's too hot. It's long sleeve. I was I was watching Jeff Goldblum on Conan, literally, like I was just saying. It's something I do in my spare time. And um, he was wearing this <laughs> shirt. a really productive week. He's, <laughs> I got a week off, uh, halfway through two weeks off. And so he was wearing you, so a, you Googled Jeff Goldblum shirt. Well, Jeff Goldblum was wearing the shirt and Conan was like, are you wearing a shirt with your name on it? And he showed the shirt and he's like, yeah, it's for my band, blah, blah, blah. And I Googled it and I bought one. And I bought it. What and a it, time to be alive. Um, oh, one small thing before we get into verdict. Did you notice Tisha Campbell from My Wife and Kids? The mum in My Wife and Kids was one of the What's three chicks with Damon Wayans. I think she oh. was also in Martin. She was been in lots of stuff. Yeah. Carol. She was really familiar, Carol right? thought she was someone else. She may, She's in heaps of stuff. She might have been right, she but she's really quite familiar. younger there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, who did Carol say it was? I said, I don't think that's her. Um, yeah. Anyone else? Um, the chick from like uh, Friday and stuff. Oh, Nia Long. It's not Nia Long. No, not Nia Long. Oh, she might be in one of those. Not she might be in one of the. Uh, she's a girl I mean. Anyway. She's a chick over the fence in something. <laughs> Mo Money. Maybe Mo Money. Oh, we can we do Mo Money. Need some Wayne's in She's our the world. chick over the fence yelling at someone all the time. Oh, well, I don't know something. what you're talking about. You're thinking of home improvement. Ah, uh, Wilson. She was Wilson. Wilson right? She's Wilson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, should we get into the verdict? Yeah. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. You're right. And that's all I have to say about that. So, I believe you got some recasties for us, Greg. I do. I've got um, I've got to be carried away with the recasties this week. Yeah. So, if you will bear with me, why I indulge. <laughs> and so, these recasties are these like if this was made today. What might it look like? Yeah, sort of. Well, I started thinking on the whole Scorsese thing. Yeah. Um, because I was like, well, what would this look like if Scorsese did it? Yeah, Joker. <laughs> and I went, uh, 
I had a bit of trouble with the women roles in Scorsese films. A lot of people tend to. <laughs> yeah, which had never dawned on me that his movies are always about men. Yeah. Um, not without some great females, but typically. They're, they're kind of just there. They're bloke. They're the closest like, would be uh, Lorraine Bracco in uh, She had a bit of her she own. She was pretty spunky. Yeah. And he's done a couple, like he had Kate Winslet in that one. Not Kate Winslet. What's our Kate? Kate Blanchett. Oh, uh, yeah. So, with that in mind, I had Kate Blanchett as Audrey. Oh. Uh, little Joey can sing as Audrey, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Leo is. Just that's Joe Pesci, by the way. Joe Pesci as the plant. Little Joe Shaw can sing. Because he can sing. Yeah. <laughs> and rap. Oh, yeah, he can. Uh, I had Harvey Keitel as Seymour. Oh, yeah, okay. It's quite old, but you know. And Leo is uh, Omen the Dentist. <laughs> I think Harvey Keitel may have aged out of that one. <laughs> yeah, you've got to think about them in uh, this yeah, is like across uh, different periods of time. You know, we, t- we covered time travel last week. <laughs> think about these guys in time traveling world. Yeah. yeah. In uh, Interstellar. Yeah. So then I went, oh, what about Tarantino? Mm. Oh, I had Harvey Keitel again, but this time <laughs> as Mr. Mushnick. Yeah, that makes more sense. Audrey 2 was Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Audrey was Uma Thurman. I didn't have a Seymour for a Tarantino. Who would that be? Seymour for Tarantino. Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen. (laughs) (laughs) I can't see him getting... Suddenly Seymour. Yeah, yeah, I'm really bullied. (laughs) Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Nice. That works. Good work. Uh, then I had Chuck Palahniuk version, so Edward Norton was Seymour. Yeah, that was Brad Pitt was Aaron Hill and Bonham McCartan was Audrey. Oh, yeah. Uh, then I went, well, what would an English version of this be like? And I had Simon Pegg as Seymour. Yeah. Emily Mortimer as Audrey. Ricky Gervais as the shopkeeper. <laughs> I can make that dream come true too, a.k.a. for you. And uh, Colin Farrell as Oren. Mm-hmm. He's Irish, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, he's good, like in Horrible Bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, then I, he's, I, just quietly, he's really reinvented himself. Yeah. He's doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of cool movies that I haven't seen that I want to see. One of those guys, like they, the tried, they tried to make him an action guy. And I think he, too, was like, oh, wait, I'm doing the wrong things. Yeah, I, I reckon he probably resented shit. it, but yeah. he's probably a... He's probably he's a bit like Brad Pitt, where he's like a character guy trapped in a handsome man's Correct. body. Correct. That's my. And he should just keep that's doing my take that. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah in Bruges and stuff is great. Yeah. Uh, horrible bosses. He's outstanding. Yeah. Have you, there's a there's new the one. The lobster. When's the new one out? The the, the, new, the gentleman. Yeah. Is that it's out? It's out now. Yeah. I've heard it's like okay. Yeah. If you're if you're thirsty for some old school guy Richie, you'll be happy. Yeah. But some I also listened to a review today and said it's maybe a little too old school. Yeah. A little lighthearted on the racism front. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. But it's like that fine line of like, well, are they just trying to show that these people are bad and therefore they're racist or is it a racist movie? Yeah. It's like tricky. Okay. Anyway. Now, I did a Flight of the Concords version because we love them. So you could have Brett as Seymour. Uh, <gasps> and they could do all the singing. Yeah. Reese Darby could be the boss. And then obviously Jermaine as the plant. <laughs> yeah. Jermaine could be a great plant. <laughs> Uh, He's got the same mouth. <laughs> it's large. <laughs> it's a large mouth. He's great. Uh, then I had they could give him his gap tooth as well. The plate. <laughs> yes. So it could really look like him. And maybe glasses. <laughs> yeah. Thick rimmed glasses. Sideburns. Yeah. 
Feed me, Seymour. Just a little prick. <laughs> I'm scared of blood. I can't do it. Oh, that would be fun. And I finally had an 80s and 90s sitcom cast where Alf would be Audrey too because, you know, they're both aliens. Urkel is Seymour. Ah, oh, feed me. Uh, and then Lisa has to be Audrey. And Screech. Oh, and you have to eat cats. Yeah, oh, that yeah. Works. That feed works. me, cats. Yeah. That works because people don't like cats and if you do, you're wrong. So it's bad people, yeah. bad animals. Yeah. And then Screech from Saved by the Bell is Oren. <laughs> I like it. That's all. That was indulgent. No, that's good. I like all of these recasties. That was fun. So well, what's your verdict? Well, my verdict it sounds case, like you're somewhere in, in case the we middle. couldn't, you in know, case draw you between the lines. I love it. Draw I think between the lines without recapping everything I just said. I mean, you can probably tell I love it. I think there's a few, a few key reasons why this is a rewatch and holds up. And if you haven't watched it, it's worth watching. The cast, all the cameos, all of which are delightful. John John Candy is a bit meh, but the rest are like all delightful. And um, the start of what would become a, a Disney. Dynasty of these creative forces. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, and also, I think a lot of what this movie does is something that is still very on trend today. Like there are def- there's a definite hint of Book of Mormon vibes. There's also like the whole movie based on a play, based on a movie. Like I think there's been a few of those, like the producers and like a few other ones. But also the idea of taking something from the past and remaking it into a new thing that's kind of a parody of the thing it once yeah. was. It'd be like 21 yeah. Jump Street, that kind of thing. Starsky and Hutch, that's, that's a bit of a thing too. And which I imagine must have been new at the time. Which was oh. not the style at the time. <laughs> which was, I tied an onion to my belt. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the aesthetic of it, because it's so stylized, as often is the case with these ones when they're so stylized, it doesn't look. It looks outdated, but it also just kind of looks like that's what it's meant to look like. Yeah. Uh, so for all those reasons, I fucking give it a big rewatch. Tick. This shit, man. And it, oh, one recasty, I would love to play Seymour. Either <laughs> I would, I'd be into it. <laughs> I would love it because I can talk sing. I want to talk sing that. Yeah. <laughs> Down I get your a, hair. I get a sense you mascara. were into talk singing. <laughs> I like talk singing. Why don't I've you do it more then? Well, I've only noticed this recently oh, when we did I, Aladdin. I am going to hop, pull you up on this next time we're out and about. You need to be doing some talk singing to strangers. <laughs> Maybe I could do talk singing versions of stuff with karaoke. No, I like the idea of catching people off guard with talk oh, singing. Oh, and like slowly drifting into, what do they call that? It's called um, music enhanced reality. <laughs> Is it? In musicals, you know how it's like it gets a bit surreal because it kind of breaks the scene or whatever. They call it music enhanced reality. Or something like that. So that's what musicals do when it gets weird and they start singing. For that to work, you go into, yeah. Anyway, I enjoy that now, I realised. Yes. And maybe that's why some movies don't work as musicals because they're not embracing that mer thing or whatever it's called. Like Dreamgirls is weird because they're just acting and then suddenly they're singing. It doesn't seem to go into that surreally musical thing. They don't turn turn away from who they're talking to and start Yeah, they're not dancing with animated penguins and such. Mm. Whereas that that movie was kind of lacking animated penguins. This even had the little animated bird. Yeah. So What about you? Where did you land? uh, Look, I respect the film. Yeah. Um, 
It resonates with me in an unusual way. I think it's like running into an ex-fling. Yeah. Slightly intriguing, slightly intimidating, but generally uncomfortable. Yeah. So you see the merits and you're like, nah. <laughs> so I give it a rewatch out of respect, but personally it'll be, I don't know if I'll watch this again. I might watch this again tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not I think I parallel. like this more. Parallel? I think yeah. I like this more now than I did. That's nice. Probably because of Steve Martin factor and Bill Murray, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the Steve which, Steve Martin for me, MVP. Yeah. I was tossing up. I think I think this may be my favorite Steve Martin thing. I was lolling. Yeah. Cause I, I've always liked Steve Martin, but yeah. not as like Quirky. He's just there. Like, like I like him in the mix. As you like him as Yeah, like he's always a bit quirky, but he was massively over the this top. This might be his number like for me, yeah. This is the one. I yeah, I was laughing hard. So in that sense he would be my MVP because of that. But then I just think the what's her name? Audrey. Oh yeah? Yeah, she was pretty good. She's pretty poor, my man. Yeah. Pretty poor. But they're all so great. And all the songs are good, all the singing's good. Oh, it's so good. Anyway. Um, I guess that's it. Oh, and also you may have realised we were supposed to do Baywatch this week. Yes, but we, re- <laughs> we realised there's a lot of watching to do, so we're doing that next week. Are we doing it next week? <laughs> or do you want to do it? Okay, coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I genuinely feel... You want to watch a few. I want to watch a few. Maybe we can try and watch one a week. And we were like, we'll watch the first episode and then realised it's an hour and a half <laughs> pilot movie <laughs> opener, Yeah, which there's lots to talk about in. So right, I think so let's maybe, push it in a few weeks then. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. So the next... What do we got coming Congo. up? Congo. Oh, the Grey Gorillas. We got Congo. Laura we got Dern. Cool Runnings. Ooh. Copycat. Ooh. Flight of the Navigator. Ooh. Wizard of Oz. Oh. And then episode sixty will be Universal Soldier. Ah. Oh. That's, that's a good one. I'm looking forward to that. It's Dolph. Back to Dolph. Yeah. Ah. Uh, hey guys. Do you enjoy the show? Leave us a review, please. Big thanks to um, those levers of reviews. We we love it. We appreciate it. Yeah. I always feel like a bit of a scumbag asking for reviews, but it really does help it us. It helps us. It we helps wouldn't us. do it otherwise because we, we know it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. This show costs us money to make, but we like making it, so we'll continue to make it. But if the more reviews we get, the better it pops up in the Apple algorithm, the, uh-huh. more, the more people can see it, and the more maybe one day – we can make this a cost-neutral pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dream. That's the dream. We'll see you next week, Ojins. Bye. Bye.